Computer, initialize Holosuite. Everybody and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and today I'll be joined, as always, by my good buddy Matt, um, who uh, is uh, back with me for the second half of Broken Bow. Um, there's not uh, a lot of uh, you know super exciting uh, banter to have uh, this week, Matt, because uh, this is just kind of like a, a cliffhanger. Uh, to RTR. So, uh, <laughs> how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. Ready to uh, jump into or back into uh, Broken Bow. Broken Bow. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, like, uh, technically speaking, this is probably like episode one, episode two of uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, it aired back on September 26, 2001, which is shocking that it's over 20 years ago now. Um, we have all the same guest stars as we had last time, and we're still written by um, Rick Berman and Brennan Braga, and this one was directed by James Conway as well. So um, if you didn't catch our last episode, you probably should check that one out first, um, looking at the first half of Broken Bow. Um, we had kind of finished off right at the point where the uh, Enterprise crew had kind of gone to that snowy alien outpost, and uh, they had uh, kind of been jumped by um, the uh, by the Sulabans, and uh, they were kind of getting taken away uh, when we uh, we called it. So uh, we let's just jump into it, Matt. I mean, uh, there's not really uh, <laughs> there's not really any cliffhanger per se because this was originally just one big long episode. So we're just going to kind of continue from where we were going, um, and uh, of course, uh, this is our. Uh, our first, like, I guess, chronological look at a classic uh, force field prison. Is that safe to say? Uh, chronologically, yeah, I think so. Yeah, like they go down and it's kind of a weird thing, this whole like uh, prison, like city prison. It's almost like a drunk tank or something. Like uh, they take <laughs> T'Pol and uh, everybody down to, and they put them in. It's kind of like uh, force fields on both sides, but it's kind of like small and they're just kind of standing there yeah kind of a weird prison isn't it yeah it is kind of an odd and it seemed to be just like in the middle of a corridor like it wasn't like it was sort of <laughs> off to the side it's like you're walking down in the street and all of a sudden oh there's a jail and there's a bunch of people in it it's a little strange and it was almost like they were just having them being held there for like a few minutes or something like we're gonna come back for you in just a second but anyway, it, it is what it is. They're in the they're in prison, just kind of standing there, and in classic television style, uh, they take Archer with them, right? Because of course they did. <laughs> um, and uh, he meets up with. I had to write it down because I don't think I would have known. Uh, I don't think I would have known the name uh, otherwise. Saren, and so she is kind of like a female alien. And uh, we get like this weird little seduction scene. Um, and I, I'm just going to kind of say straight up uh, about the second half of this. 
it was a little bit tougher to kind of follow what was going on. Um, the first half was very straightforward. There's a Klingon. He's got to go back. We got the ship. We don't know if it's going to be able to kind of get him there because we've never really used it and we haven't seen the Klingons in a while. So off we go into the final frontier. This is really kind of getting muddled. So I'm going to kind of go with my thoughts on what it is. And then Matt, because you've obviously seen this episode more often than me, I guess you can kind of like uh, correct my errors as we go. So this woman, Saren, who is definitely digging Archer, right? Archer kind of has like the Kirk thing going where, you know, every alien chick is into him. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is a very like Kirk like uh, kind of thing. Where, you know, the alien, he's, the alien is, like, coming on to him. It happens in, like, every episode of the original series. Yeah, and it starts that way, right? Where she starts, like, macking on him. But then she mentions something about how the Sulabons, they're, like, in a, you know, they're, they're always in this, like, constant state of evolution. And she needed to have close contact in order to be able to basically kind of, like, make some sort of connection with him. To see if he was like lying or something, I guess, because at one point he mentions that uh, she now knows that he's truthful. Um, and they also like basically go through like the entire plot of the temporal cold war <laughs> in about like three minutes. So she explains that there's a temporal cold war going on. Uh, the Sulabuns are basically like agents of uh, a mysterious future person uh, who's telling them what to do. Um, they are like seeking, uh, you know, pure evolution, but they don't want to wait for natural selection. But then she's not part of the original Sulaban people. She is kind of like a person who's rebelling out against the regular Sulaban people. And Archer is, uh, she wants to help Archer to get the Klingons because the Klingon guy has actually been told that the Temporal War people are going to basically muddle around with the Klingon High Council. And she knows that because she was the person who told him that he has to go. And then he got injured on Earth. And now that's what set off this whole big thing. So um, I'm, how close am I? Give me a score out of five, out of 10. <laughs> well, I think she they were like already screwing around with the Klingons. And I think Klang had the evidence of it. And so she was like trying to bring him back to... Quonos so that they could see that like oh yeah these like Sulabon guys have been like messing around with us and I think they were trying to like provoke different factions of Klingons into like fighting amongst each other for whatever reason right and I think he had like the evidence of it yeah they never explained why he was like on earth is that where he got the evidence uh, no they didn't explain that okay uh all right well you know what I I'm pretty happy with myself um, just because, like I mentioned, it is very, very quick. Um, and it kind of is almost like they're doing the Sonic the Hedgehog, like, foot tapping. Because they want <laughs> to get to this big shootout, breakout of prison scene. Um, but just before we get to that, do you think that this is kind of like, uh, you know, Star Trek in 2001, where, you know, all of the major story arcs are basically just going to be kind of given while they're running and shooting and jumping um, or basically just like rushing to get through it so that we can get to the the jumping and the kicking. Because uh, I, I kind of would rather have not had this next five minutes and maybe kind of talked more about the, the intricacies of this temporal Cold War thing. 
Well, we talked about this a little bit a couple podcasts ago when we when we reviewed that other Enterprise episode that dealt with the Kemp dealt with the temporal cold war that didn't make a lot of sense and i mean this is this is sort of where you know and i talked about how it suffers from Battlestar galactica syndrome where they or or for a more broad audience lost syndrome where they plant all these seeds of mystery but they have no idea where they're going with it and so it ends up this contrived mess at the end and i feel like this is sort of where it started and, you know, a lot of this stuff is interesting, you know, temporal Cold War, people from the future screwing around and manipulating the past. That could be an interesting, it's an interesting idea and it's an interesting way to kind of begin the series and think like, oh, okay, so we're going to get all this weird future people influencing the past and and then they don't really do much with it and then it just sort of disappears. There's really no ending to it. And, and this is where it starts. And I mean, if we're just looking at this episode in, in, in isolation or on its own, it's, it's interesting stuff and an interesting thing to do sort of at the, uh, as a pilot when you're, you know, starting a new series. Um, but un, I mean, unfortunately, because we know, you know, you and I have both watched the whole series, we know that they don't really play this out to the best of their ability or to the, they didn't really think it through. So it's, it's, it's. Watching it sort of after the fact, it's kind of like, oh, man, this this was actually kind of good and interesting, and they don't really do anything with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of reminded of that, uh, that plot line throughout uh, Deep Space Nine, where, like, I, I want to say it's season three, but I could be mistaken. But, like, there's, like, somebody who comes to the station and in, like, a really nondescript, off-the-handle kind of way just mentions, like, oh, yeah, like, the Dominion is really causing a lot of troubles. And it's just a throwaway line. Like, if you had just watched that episode, you would have no clue what it's about. And then, like, later on in another episode, like, somebody else comes and is like, oh, man, my, my whole world got, like, destroyed by the Dominion. Like, they're kind of, like, just planting, like little seeds about how you know this is going to be something in the future and i i really wonder if maybe they should have done something like that um just with uh this temporal cold war maybe they should have just mentioned it and it could have just been like oh yeah like people from the future messing around with the past and just leave it at that and it would have maybe given them a little bit more time to just kind of flush out what this is going to be and what the end game is going to be for something like this. Because for me, I really feel like it never really ends up being satisfying, especially now that we have the ability to go back and, um, you know, like see, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's too bad because it definitely, um, could have been really, really great. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more um, on the uh, Temporal Cold War in, in just a minute because we're going to kind of see um, some more kind of players in it. So let's just kind of uh, shelve that for a brief minute because they don't really care to give us the time for it. They want to get to this big shooting and kicking and punching breakout. Um, does this do anything for you or are we just too old and oversaturated <laughs> and we've seen this a million times and it just doesn't 
Like, does this do anything for you or, or does it not? It, it does a little bit. I think what they're trying to do here is say, this is the Wild West. We have these humans that are going into deep space for the first time. They have no idea what they're going to come up against. And, you know, they want to establish this sort of adventure, you know, sort of Wild West kind of feel. And and I and, and it fits, right? You know, you go to this outpost and there's it's kind of lawless. There's people, you know, all kinds of aliens wandering around doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, they get in this big shootout, you know, while they're trying to escape from the Suleban. And so, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of overdone and over dramatized, but I, I sort of see what they're trying to do. And I, I mean, I think it's fitting. Yeah, it's it, it is kind of funny, isn't it? Like as you get older, you almost become desensitized to certain things. And I mean, I'm almost certain that if this was like 2001, I would probably be like, "Oh, so cool, you know, like get a, like fight them, kick them, punch them." But the older I get, the the less excited I am about the action scenes and the more excited I am about the talking scenes um, more because like, I mean, in terms of action, it's kind of like I've seen it all, you know, like, I mean, I haven't seen everything, but like, you know, a big shootout and a bit of fighting. I mean, I feel like there's not really a lot here that is super innovative or different or interesting in any kind of way. Oh, you didn't like, you didn't like Archer with the, the two phasers going. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of <laughs> cool, I guess. But again, it's not like it's it's not like you've never seen that before, right? Well, uh, of course, yeah, yeah, you I see mean, it all the time. I guess you could probably say that maybe you haven't seen uh, two phasers. You maybe have seen, like, two guns. But, I mean, it's essentially the same difference, right? Maybe Picard lifted... You know that scene in Picard where Seven of Nines got the two? Maybe they lifted it from this. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we haven't had a whole lot of Picard on uh, on uh, RTR of of yet, but um, yes, that is definitely a thing that happens, and uh, I would say it's kind of the same thing there as it is here, right? Is that you know, is is Star Trek the place that you want to go to for your double barrel uh, shooting action with uh, you know? all that kind of stuff or, you know, are you going to want that someplace else? And, you know, maybe, uh, some like intrigue and some good stories. I don't know. It's, I guess it's up to debate. Uh, we get this big shootout, the big breakout. You actually end up with a really funny line, um, from, uh, I want to say it's Mayweather from uh, the rare occurrence where, uh, they can't find them on the sensors. The snow is coming in. There's a big storm and uh, basically they're like look for the look for uh the vulcan signs and then she's in the window and he goes i found her like that was kind of funny yeah you're right that was mayweather yeah it was it was pretty funny because they're like because they're like sort of landed i think and they're like which way do we go and he's like i don't know and they're like well where where's the vulcan life sign and then all of a sudden she's like pounding on the window <laughs> right yeah because i think they were they were still in the pods at that point right so yeah yeah um can i ask one quick question sure what did you think of the starfleet snowsuits and we don't see a lot of like 
blizzards on Star Trek. You know what? That's actually I thought a, they were kind of neat. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. They don't really do a whole lot of like winter episodes. We've seen a lot of desert episodes, you know. We've seen a lot of like uh, you know, spacewalk suits and stuff. But yeah, like a winter suit is actually something that's quite rare. So it was pretty cool. I like how the Enterprise consistently had unique uniforms for different weather. Right, we just watched that one not that long ago, actually, where they were in the desert and they had like the white like duster suits, which was pretty cool. Um, the skin tight, like sh- like short sleeve, <laughs> desert tan outfit. Yeah. yeah, the best thing to wear in the desert, essentially. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's uh, definitely a cool feature about it. And again, it's that nice big budget that Enterprise, no doubt, had right. Um, is uh, the the fact that um, they, they have enough for multiple different uniforms and suits and stuff. Now, uh, they don't get out of here without any, uh, you know, un, untamed. Um, Archer uh, in the kind of scuffle gets injured badly. And we get this, like, uh, RC plane scene, I guess, which is a throwback to the beginning of the episode, where I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to do with this thing. Is he trying to, like, land it, I guess, or just make it fly smoothly and he keeps crashing it into the sand. Yeah, I think maybe he was it was like windy and he was trying to figure out how to pilot it in the wind without it crashing. And it's supposed to be like an yeah, it's supposed to be like an RC plane, but it's like it has like a warp core in it so it can float. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um they need to get those in uh they need to make those things for real, you know, like uh, get them in stores for Christmas, right? Yes, that'd be pretty neat. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't really get what this was supposed to be. I feel like they were trying to make it seem like it was going to be like, uh, you know, he was going to come to some, uh, you know, realization or something while he was knocked unconscious. But I don't, I didn't really see that. Did, what was I supposed to take away from this? Well, I think those flashback scenes were supposed to be kind of like a metaphor for what he was going through at the time, right? So he does this rescue mission and it kind of goes sideways and he gets shot and that's sort of like you know his ship his little model ship crashing into the dirt is kind of the same thing like he run he hits a snag yeah i feel like i think that's sort of what you're trying to get out of it i feel like uh archer senior needed to have like some sage advice here that was like a little bit more on the nose or something, you know, where he would have to say something. And then when he wakes up, he knows exactly what to do because of the advice that he had in the dream that was subconsciously there the entire time. Um, but I mean, I guess it's fine. It's, uh, it's, it's a really kind of short scene. It reminded me a little bit of um, the Emissary episode where uh, Benjamin Sisko keeps having these flashbacks to when his memories, like him and his wife were like on the beach as well. Yeah. So that's like maybe a Star Trek trope that we need to get back going, right? Every time you do a uh, a season premiere or a series premiere, you have to have like a flashback beach scene, maybe. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm sure the I'm sure the current day writers would be able to have a field day field with day that. with that. Yeah, and I mean the other thing too is is that if you have a throwback beach scene, um, it might be slightly easier to write in like scantily clad. Uh, cast members that won't feel as forced as this decon scene uh, that we get <laughs> almost immediately after. Well, that's they get a back fine segue. Yeah, that, that is a good. fine segue. So uh, 
we've talked about the decon scenes before, but for those of uh, the listeners that maybe didn't listen to those episodes, um, is this just a product of the time? Um, does this do anything for anybody, or is this just kind of like a weird period of time where, you know, writers were still in the mindset of sex cells, and, you know, this is going to be the thing that, uh, you know, makes Enterprise stand out ahead of the other things. Oh, definitely a product of the times. Um, I, I think if you look at other shows from this period of time, you'd probably see a lot of this kind of stuff. And uh, we've used the term cringe level maximum before. This it certainly qualifies. Like, this was so overt and blatant that it's, you know, they're rubbing gel all over themselves, and, oh, I, I, I don't know, this was, this was, it was totally unnecessary, and it was really awkward to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, they, this is kind of establishing that, like, every time you go on a mission, and you get back, it's, like, down to your underpants, and uh, get the uh, petroleum uh, anti-fungal gel out to, uh, like, uh, rub each other down, um, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird now, right? Um, because, I, I mean, for people who maybe didn't grow up during that era, right? Like, the as crass as it is, like, the internet was kind of still in early stages, right? So it wasn't like people just had, like, endless amounts of pornography at their fingertips and on their phones and all these different things. And so, like... The idea that you would have like these sexy scenes on TV was still like super, super popular, right? Um, and, uh, you know, like Baywatch and all the shows that we grew up on were essentially just kind of like, yeah, pornography for the, uh, <laughs> for, for your average viewer, like on uh, five o'clock in the afternoon kind of thing. Uh, such a weird time. Um, and I mean, like, I guess by now like today's standards like the way that they've kind of adapted to that is that like a lot of shows they go like extremely sexual with like game of thrones and with like uh you know walking dead and stuff everything's like r-rated and it's like to the maximum so i mean i feel like some people may watch this and be like this is actually really tame um if you were to compare it to you know some of the stuff that you're getting on television um, today so uh, it's just kind of funny how times change and uh, it doesn't age very well but I guess it is a product of the time and so uh, we have to kind of take it for that but it I think the awkward part though is it's so it's contrived right like it'd be one thing if they were just like banging in the you know quarters <laughs> right <laughs> But this, it's like, it's so shoehorned in that they're, you know, that they have this whole thing where, like, why can't Trip just go in his own private little room and just rub it on himself, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, in Baywatch, why did they have to run in slow motion, you know? Was that plot-based? <laughs> well, that's what I mean, though, right? Like, it's, it's like, subliminal, and it's, like, it's contrived. Yeah, they yeah. Sort of make up, they, they make up this whole thing just so that they can have them barely clothed in the right. rubbing gel on each other, right? Like it would, right, whereas now they would just have sex. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, should we flip reverse this and give them at least some credit? Because, I mean, I guess from a technical standpoint, 
in the future, everybody would be like so sex positive and so like uh, comfortable in their own skin that like the idea that there were like men and women in a common shared space, like showering or doing the decon gels or whatever, it would be like not even a thing that would be like, it wouldn't even phase you in the future. You know what I mean? We're so like yeah. uh, advanced at that point that like, you know, nobody's going to be sneaking a peek or anything. Nobody's going to be uh, getting too titillated by it. It's just going to be a scenario where like, it's literally just whatever, like not a big deal. Well, it's an interesting take. And who knows, maybe one of these days we'll get to that maybe. stage in our development as a civilization. And you know what? I'm pretty sure that if we could ever get an interview with Rick Berman, I'm sure that's what he would say he was thinking when he wrote that scene. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> All right, Matt, let's, uh, let's continue along here. And unfortunately for me, there's a bit of a slowdown. Um, I find like this entire section here where... Uh, you know, Archer is healed. He's got like, what is it? The pneumatic eel or something saves him. And uh, he's, uh, you know, he's recouped and he's retaken command. And I guess like they're just essentially following the Sulabons. Um, and I don't know, for something, some reason, this just really was like a shift down for me. Uh, I, I thought that, uh, you know, obviously it has to go down slightly after you break out of the prison and the big uh, scene there. But um, this whole chunk on the ship is just not overly exciting. I kind of maybe wish there was something slightly more tactical to it. Uh, you know, maybe the classic bridge scene where, you know, barking orders and everybody's doing their role or something would have been a, a nice kind of di different thing to do. Um, what were your thoughts on this little kind of... Like it's almost like a little interlude in a way because it's it's the 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 thing that maybe splits the first half and the second half up the most. Well, I think they're trying to kind of dial things down a little bit before we get to the big action sequence to finish it off, and uh, it was a little technical. Is that the word? Because they're like matching the warp signature or, or whatever to track all these ships to the to the main base and yeah it, it kind of slowed things down quite a lot yeah there's kind of like i think we're supposed to be really uh engrossed in this idea that it's uh you know to paul is kind of turning the corner slightly just slightly uh because she was the one that, that kind of suggested that they kept going, even though she was technically in command. She could have just sent them back, and she is softening slightly, so now she's getting brought into the, the triad, as it were. I think that's supposed to be kind of really like, wow, look at this, but uh, I, don't know that, uh, I don't know that it's overly engaging. Yeah, it was interesting that she did eventually decide to continue on because she didn't want to she was like ready to reverse course and see what the Vulcans wanted them to do but I guess Trip and, and some of the others convinced her to, to keep going uh yeah that yeah it was that was pretty interesting I thought that she actually decided to keep going yeah it's uh it's interesting let's say but it's not necessarily 
overly engaging. Um, I, I kind of feel like there's also, um, they're kind of cutting and splicing to uh, some of the temporal cold war stuff with like that that guy, I guess. I, I don't know, the leader or, or whatever he's supposed to be. Um, we've already kind of talked about it, but like, does this temporal cold war make any sense at all? Like realistically, if it's a, if you have the ability to go back in time and change stuff, then wouldn't it be like completely foolproof? Because if you ever got found out or if anybody mucked with it, you could just go back earlier and earlier and just continuously change your uh, approach, right? Like uh, it's kind of like a butterfly effect, I guess, in the sense that every time you change it, it's going to kind of create a whole bunch of like different uh, factions. But like, I don't know, like to me, this whole thing just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, time travel's tough. Um, it's really hard to do it well. I think you have to f figure a lot of things out before you can kind of do it. I, I mean, I, I've watched a lot of science fiction over the years, and I think the hardest thing, the hardest sort of trope of science fiction to do is, is time travel because, like you say, it's like, okay, we're going to go back in time and try to affect this event. Oh, it didn't work? Well, we'll just go further back and try something else. You know, it, it, it's really it's really hard to do. Well, don't worry. It's not like the next season of Picard is going to have like any time traveling effects or anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I... It's such a cool sounding thing. I think that's the other half of it. Like the yeah. temporal Cold War just sounds so awesome. But to live up to as cool as it sounds... I don't know necessarily if it actually does or if it is even possible. Um, but, uh, I mean, it is kind of what it is. And uh, it's early times, so at least in this point, we should probably kind of just look at it for what it is in the sense that, uh, you know, if you were watching this back in 2001, it's definitely intriguing. It's definitely engaging. And I feel like you're kind of curious as to, like, what they're going to do with it. Well, and I also wrote down something about uh, the t when when the future guy and Silic are, are talking in that chamber. It sounds really ominous. Yes. You know, like they're they're talking back and forth about, you know, well, we have to stop Archer. We can't let Clang get back. And it's it seemed really ominous to me when they were where they were talking. And I think that sort of adds to the intrigue of this whole temporal Cold War thing. But it's kind of a it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense yeah that's that's just it right i mean and i guess the thing is is that they're trying to make it so that we're not really certain about it like wasn't there like a rumor that like originally they wanted that like mysterious shape to actually be archer like that was going to be the big reveal was that it was actually future archer going back and kind of like um creating like a breadcrumb trail that would go to uh, you know, a, a creation of Federation. Is that, is that not kind of like one of the rumors that was going around? We, we could probably do an entire <laughs> podcast about who Future Guy is. True. So we could probably, and we could probably do a whole podcast series where we invite every Star Trek fan on, on Earth <laughs> to say, who's Future Guy? And they would all have a and they're all completely different, different take. take on it. <laughs> um, excellent point. Um, and so it's a very contentious thing. Right. To and, put it mildly. I mean, I guess it is kind of one of those things where it's, uh, 
yeah. I mean, it, it is it is it is pretty fun. So, um, I guess we won't uh, we won't waste too much time on this particular episode, kind of delving into it. But it's definitely something that uh, is interesting, nonetheless. That being said, it it does kind of feel like this last little bit is is somewhat rushed, and I kind of feel like. Yeah, I don't know. For for an episode that's as long as it is, this shouldn't really happen. So uh, they get to the, the gas giant planet. Uh, they kind of lose them for a minute. Um, they decide to kind of go down, and they need to save Krang, who's down there. And um, we kind of get, like, the exact same shoot-up as we had in the first half, don't we? Like, I honestly feel like this could have literally been swapped with the other one and nobody would know the difference other than you've got like a huge Klingon running around amongst it. Um, is this kind of too samey for you? Cause it was definitely too samey for me. Well, they did break out the new phasers. That is true. Which made, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Why would they wait till now? You know, <laughs> we're, we're at the, we're at the, we're near the climax of the episode. We need some different weapons. Why, like, why wouldn't they just use them all along? Right. Yeah. That was kind of a strange thing, I thought. Yeah. But to answer your question, I mean, it was it was pretty similar. I mean, they're basically just running around that big helix structure thing, just shooting guys. And didn't Clang, like, smash one guy, like, against the wall or something? Yes. That, would, that was a little different, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, this is kind of the same thing as the first big shoot-up fight one. Where it's just it's just kind of like I've seen it. It's it's been in a million of these types of shows and episodes, and it's just kind of yeah, it's just kind of okay, uh, but but nothing nothing out of the ordinary. One one thing I liked sort of leading up to it was when uh, there, Tucker's flying the ship and he smashes into the station. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, it's sort of like a, a goes back to the beginning when he accidentally scraped the the hull of enterprise while they were like him and archer were sort of flying around looking at stuff yeah remember that yeah yeah that that was pretty (laughs) good it's kind of neat yeah yeah i feel like maybe more of that would have been kind of uh more satisfying than having the the kind of the shoot 'em up fighting bit on the like uh whatever that was that little i guess is this where the future guy is i suppose and that's why when they set like that mercury looking bomb or like that little temporal, is that a temporal bomb that they set off in the compound? Like, well, no, it was like, it was to unmagnetize all the tiny little ships. So they'd all go like drifting off. Right. Yes. And then Archer, Archer had to kind of go and set that up. That's why he was kind of left by himself kind of thing. Yeah. To go visit with future guy in that like psychedelic strobe light room. Yeah. And I mean, that was, okay i found those scenes very disorienting yeah where it's like the hand moves and it's like sort of stuttering and like the guy says his lines and you hear it five different times like i I found that very i mean it kind of looked cool but i I, just watching it i was like oh i'm not it's it's really disorienting yeah which i guess was kind of the point Kind of, but then, like, we already saw that guy talking to the Sulaban guy, like, perfectly with no problems, like, five seconds earlier. So now it's kind of like, why is it all distorted? Um, I really, really, really hated that, um, like, T'Pol sent, like, she just t- totally turns on a dime. 
Um, like mm, she was, yeah. she was kind of like, uh, oh, we got to keep going. We got to do the mission. It's important and stuff. And then like when the archer gets left behind, she's like, man, screw him. Like, let's get out of here. Um, that was really stupid. And I also think that it was really stupid to blow the whole, um, secret and the, the, the mystique of the transporter because they had kind of mentioned at one point that, oh, we can't use that. It'll turn you inside out and all this kind of stuff. And so to kind of like just end up doing the like just doing the thing that you could have saved it for like a later episode or like at least teased it more um, to me felt like it was kind of a waste of that moment. I did like, though, that Trip was like apologetic. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Captain. We had no choice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't seem like it funny. was like that super dire, I guess, that you'd have to use it. I, I kind of feel like they could have saved this for a different time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess that's more of just kind of like my own personal personal preference. Um, and then, like weirdly enough, I was like, "Wow, what a what a you know a great uh, finish to the episode." And I happened to check the time, and it was like eight minutes left. I was like, "What? What, what are they gonna do um, for like another eight minutes?" So uh, we kind of go and we get this Klingon bit. Which is, seems like almost like a, like a false finish. It's like watching pro wrestling. Every time you think like, "Oh, it's going to be over now," it's like, "Nope, not quite." We're gonna keep going. Um, and mm -hmm. this Klingon part was really like a tag on, uh, really not needed at all. I would have almost rather like any other part of it to be extended um, rather than like this Klingon bit at the end, where again, it's just like exposition being talked about like at a meeting. Like I just didn't think this was very good at all. But yeah, I, I didn't think it was terrible. I mean, I guess you want to kind of see the conclusion of them actually completing their mission. No, that part I think is fine because I mean, I, I, if they had just brought him into the chamber and it was like, uh, here you go, uh, here's the, uh, he's back, mission success, then I kind of would have liked that. But they start going in like, like they get like the computer and they're like looking at like the DNA or like the microscope stuff. And I was like, what are we doing here? Like this, this needs to get like wrapped up like more quickly than, than it did, you know? Well, they had to like, you know, get the cellular evidence that this temporal cold war guy was messing around with the Klingons. I don't know. It looks, it looked, the graphics look cool. That's true, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we can agree to disagree on it. I just felt like I wish they had just dropped him off and been like, see you later, and credits. Because um, we also get another, another finish where they actually go back to the Enterprise and they're on the, they're, they're at the, the cons and everything on the bridge. And we kind of get like what we would probably expect for a, a series like this where you know, off we go to the next adventure um, with like a little bit of like a TOS feel to a, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, it was okay. Um, I, I kind of feel like I wish they had just cut that middle part out, but I guess it is kind of pertinent to the story to kind of finish that, uh, finish that connect the dots. Yeah, I like that uh, when, when Archer was talking about like, oh, Dr. Phlox has decided to stick around. He's developed a fondness for the human endocrine system. <laughs> I thought that was a hilarious line and very much a, a Phlox a Fox thing. Yeah, that was good. I like that for sure.
Let's uh, let's do a little bit of production stuff, a little trivia, a little bit of uh, kind of wrap up on Broken Bow. We've been kind of on this one for a while, but it's kind of a, a rare treat to actually get the uh, you know the series premiere. You know, well, there's only so many shows, so uh, we've been fortunate enough to get uh, Deep Space Nine last year. Now we're getting Enterprise. Um, I think for me, probably the most interesting thing. Um, and if you're not interested in it, by all means, you can just uh, <laughs> pass. Uh, I'm always kind of interested in how they introduce the characters. So I thought maybe it would be kind of a fun idea if we just kind of went through, you know, the main cast or at least the main couple. And we just talk about how we feel they introduce the character. And I mean, we might not get this kind of opportunity again unless maybe we get uh, the series finale. So I kind of would like to hear your thoughts on the casting as well all right so um first up is uh, scott bacula um and uh, i mean there's all kinds of little bits of trivia and pieces and stuff and apparently he was pretty adamant that he wanted to read the scripts and wanted to see the sets and kind of see everything um before uh, he actually signed on um, and i think it's probably fair to say that he is the biggest name that they've probably gotten um uh, for Enterprise, at least, anyway, like uh, Patrick Stewart was, um, you know, was kind of really popular in Britain and stuff. And Sneakwell Martin Green had come off of um, Walking Dead. But I mean, in terms of like Enterprise itself, Scott Bakula was obviously the big name. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on, on that casting? And then also, what are your thoughts on kind of how they introduce the character, either like the, literally the first scene or the first episode? Um, he, he's a good choice, I think, because you have this, you, you want to have this sort of gregarious, not almost Kirk-like captain, um, and I think he pulls it off pretty well. Um, I've, that's interesting that he wanted to, like, know everything that he was getting into. Uh, that's kind of interesting, because, I mean, it's Star Trek, even back then, would have been a big deal. I figure he would have a pretty good idea of what he was getting into, but yeah, interesting. I think they introduce him pretty well. There's a lot of little things, like you get these flashbacks to him as a, as a child with his dad working on that model uh, spaceship. And, um, yeah, we get lots of, like, little bits and pieces. I think we get a pretty good feel for the character, even just in the first half of the episode, because, uh, you know, he's he's in almost every scene. I mean, once we get sort of past that, Klingon chase through the cornfield. So yeah, we, we definitely get a good sense of who Archer is after the uh, the first episode. Yeah, I think that uh, Scott Bakula, maybe more than any of the other captains that we saw, uh, with the exception of probably Shatner, is he felt like he was already kind of like, uh, he was already kind of like, uh, started like hit the ground running almost you know um like obviously picard it took a few years to kind of mold that into uh the character that we know i think that we can all agree that avery brooks was kind of the same way um kate mulgrew i kind of feel like you know those first couple seasons and then she kind of really grew into what the janeway character was going to be um i think that like yeah scott bacula i mean he was coming off of what quantum leap probably so he was probably, uh, you know, he, he was probably riding fairly high um, kind of uh, at, at that time. And he's since gone on to be like a really big character on like that NCIS show. I don't know if you ever watch it, but um, he's had like a pretty long and uh, illustrious career. And I think he was a, a, almost a perfect choice. Um, he was kind of like the perfect age at the time. 
Um, and uh, he just kind of had that, uh, like, almost like a boyish enthusiasm about him that um, kind of in court, you know, encapsulates what Archer really should be and, and, and you know, was. Um, I did read a little bit on how, you know, he, he, they kind of, like, tried to get him some, like, uh, uh, typical lines and, and one-liners and stuff. You know, like, Picard had the, uh, the Earl Grey tea and, you know, Janeway had the coffee and stuff. Um, and so, I mean, like, I think that probably the closest thing that we get to, like, a catchphrase is probably, like, let's go. Um, that was kind of, I guess, something that he used to kind of indicate the ship was going. Um, and now, like, years later, it almost kind of feels forced whenever, uh, whenever they, they have a catchphrase. Or at least I feel like it is in Discovery. But, um, I mean, I think that this was an absolute smash. And this is a kind of a great introduction. Like I said, I feel like you can watch this one and you could watch, like, Season 4 Archer. And, like, you can see that growth. You can see that improvement. But not so much so that it's, like, unbelievable or that, like, seems like it was the actor growing into the role. More like the character was growing, which I think is, like, a real testament. Yep, definitely. All right, well, let's go to the number two, which uh, I'm going to say is to Paul. Um, so Jolene Blaylock, you know, she was kind of like a, she was probably, you know, kind of popular for actor, for modeling and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know... Everything I've ever read about her basically has been that, you know, she loved being part of Star Trek and, and she, she just thought that it was great all along. Um, she's uh, an interesting one, too, because I kind of feel like at this point, um, you know, it had been a long time that we actually had like a true full 100% Vulcan. And as I'm saying that, it's actually like I don't know that we ever had one, right? Spock was half. Um, I guess Tuvok. Tuvok was a full Vulcan. Um uh, although separated from from the Federation and from the the you know the Beta Quadrant or whatever, um, what are, what are your thoughts on T'Pol and, and maybe what are your thoughts on Jolene Baylock and how how did you think that they integrated her into uh, the first episode here? Well, it's an interesting choice to take a essentially a model and say, okay, we're going to put you in a TV show. Um, you know that it was I Rick mean, Berman that was part of this, eh? Well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like she did a pretty decent job in the first episode as sort of the the non-emotional Vulcan. And I think throughout the series, like, you can tell that her acting definitely improved and she definitely became a lot more comfortable in that character, especially towards the end when they sort of gave her... There, there were some, like, cracks in the emotion armor, I guess. Um and as far as in this episode, um, I don't know. I thought we got a pre an okay. I didn't, we didn't really get to know much about like her background, other than she was just like part of the diplomatic uh, Vulcan diplomatic uh, whatever group in, on Earth. Um, so uh, I don't know. I think it was a decent introduction and a okay choice for casting. I mean, she she the first couple of seasons she's a little rough, but I, I think she grows into it quite well. Yeah, and I mean, she's kind of the foil in these first couple episodes, right? And, uh, I mean, I think that she's one of those weird characters where, you know, if you had to rank her amongst all the number twos, she'd probably be kind of like middle to bottom of my list, right, in terms of second-in-command. But uh, kind of as a small sample on Enterprise over the fourth season, I think that she's great, right? I think that it's just that she's in tall company with all the other people who 
kind of played that second-in-command kind of role. Uh, I think that she was somebody who, like, really committed to the whole Vulcan thing. And, you know, now that we're so many years past, I almost kind of think that you have to give credit because, you know, you have to remember, like, uh, Michael Burnham was supposed to be, like, raised by Vulcans and she was supposed to be, like, uh, you know, no emotion and all that kind of stuff. And they, like, pretty much abandoned that immediately. And I would have to think (laughs) that most of that has to be the actress just being wanting to do more range, right? And, you know, like well, you said... Well, being skilled enough to do it. And, yeah, true enough, right? But, you know what? I feel like Jolene Blaylock was like, oh, I don't have any emotion. Okay, well, fine. I just won't then. And I will come in and I'll I'll play the part. And like you said, there was growth and there was change. But, like, on the whole, I feel like she served that role as the Vulcan really well, Right. Uh, there was a few episodes, like remember that one in the future where she was kind of watching after him, Carbon Creek, um, a couple of things where they had to let her venture out a little bit, but then they brought the chickens back to the coop uh, really, really quickly. So um, like I said, now that we have the time that we, we've let it sit, uh, I think that, that, she, that she was great. Which brings us to uh, like the, the, the triad, right? Um, you and I have talked a lot about how they wanted to kind of get back to that uh, McCoy, Kirk, and Spock dynamic, and uh, you know the third part of the triangle is uh, Trip, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about uh, Connor Triner, but like from everything I've kind of looked at, it, it's not like he's had like an illustrious television or film career. He's kind of been like a bit of a journeyman, um, kind of done episodes here, episodes there, had a little stint on uh, Stargate Atlantis actually. Um, but obviously the, the most famous role for him, uh, was Star Trek Enterprise. So what do you think of Trip in this particular episode and how do you like the casting? I don't think I've seen Connor Trenier in anything else. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, like I said, kind of just like every once in a while he'll pop up on like touched by an angel, uh, NCIS. He was on a family guy episode. He was on episode of 24, uh, the closer, like pretty little liars, like shows that you've heard of. But, I mean, if you weren't kind of looking for him, you maybe wouldn't have noticed him, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the casting goes, I mean, they wanted the sort of Southern gentleman, and I think they nailed it. Um, I don't know if he's actually from the South or whether that's that accent is, is fake, but in any event, you know, he, he nails that 100%. Um, we don't get a whole lot on Trip in this first episode, but, I, I mean, I thought he was introduced pretty well, and I think it was... We, we got the sense that him and Archer were, you know, old pals that had known each other for a long time. So, I mean, we get, we get that at least. Yeah, I, I think that the dynamic between the three of them is really good and really good pretty much straight away. Connor Trenier is from Washington State, for anybody that's uh, curious. Um, did go to school in Missouri, but, um, I mean, I think that that, uh, that accent is definitely something that, uh, you know, we haven't seen in Star Trek previously and we haven't seen it afterwards either so um i feel like uh yeah it kind of added a a different dynamic right because he was kind of more like the conservative old school person like they were almost going for like a like a mechanic grease monkey kind of engineer versus like uh, bolana torres or somebody who uh you know who is like a, a true engineer who who just happens to work on ships um or like um you know, 
name whatever engineer you want, right? But um, I kind of feel like he, he kind of had more of like that mechanic style, uh, almost more like a Scotty, really, where like, uh, like Scotty had like an affection for ships and like almost like how people have an affection for old cars. And I kind of get that same feeling with Trip, but it's kind of more for like engines. So that's kind of cool. Now, uh, I think for the minor characters, unless you have something kind of specific that you wanted to mention about uh, any of them, uh, I don't know that we necessarily need to go into the, the gritty detail of each of them. Uh, the one thing that I just kind of wanted to say was that um, at this point in the series, which is literally one episode in, um, there definitely was that like air of excitement. I thought that uh, the Hoshi character was really cool, the linguistics and going off into space without uh, you know having a universal translator that was like solid the whole thing with uh, uh, you know uh, Mayweather being like a boomer and, and you know he was uh, this kind of like this ship is it's so crazy fast right and you got Reed the British guy who's you know doing all the weapons and all that kind of stuff I think that they put together like a you know a, a very motley crew of uh, characters and uh, from my perspective I think that even on the first episode sorry flocks as well you know the, the alien, doctor that uh, you know is going to have to live with humans i think that they put together a very very good cast yeah i mean i i think the the casting choices for really a, the all seven of the main characters is it's pretty good you get a bit of a different it's interesting that they have a couple of characters with accents because you don't you never really saw that which True. I was kind of a nice touch because it's supposed to be you know closer to our our time period so yeah, I mean, I I think they did a pretty good job of putting together the the, the cast and and the characters for for this, and we get little snippets of of all four of the kind of secondary characters, and like it's enough in in the pilot, I thought. And like I said, I mean, we we know that eventually Mayweather becomes kind of like background uh, scenery, and we know that Reed doesn't really end up doing too much, and Hoshi's is kind of wasted, but. Uh, at this stage, one episode in, there's a lot of excitement. And, uh, I mean, unfortunately, when I was back in school, I only watched Enterprise kind of periodically. If it was on, I wasn't really as big of a Star Trek fan then as I am now. Um, and it's kind of too bad, because I feel like this would have been a very exciting time in Star Trek lore. Um, and just kind of a couple production things. They actually started filming Enterprise two weeks after Voyager Endgame. So... Um, it was kind of like no rest for the weary. They literally kind of tore down the sets of Voyager and started packing up, um, packing up and, and getting some stuff built, right? So um, I do believe, as they typically do, they probably refitted some things and, you know, used some of the, the old stuff. But in terms of production, it's really hard to go through these uh, series premieres because it's just so much stuff, hours and hours of uh, behind the scenes and deleted deleted bits and interviews and stuff. So I think that I, I don't really want to, to delve too far into it unless um, there's kind of something specific that, uh, that you wanted to go into, Matt. Um, I know that they were very, very uh, proud of themselves for like those butterfly dancers, like the purple and blue suit. Uh, I know that they spent an absolute fortune on uh, producing this episode. <laughs> And everybody loves to mention how expensive it was and how crazy expensive it was and how they couldn't believe how expensive it was. But um, I think it shows on the screen. And, I mean, from a production value, from a set value, from a visual uh, effects end of things, I mean, I think we can just universally agree uh, the music as well. It just 
looks yeah it just looks fantastic yeah and i mean it, it it ages fairly well too i mean sometimes the enterprise cgi is not the greatest but uh i mean there wasn't really much that i re- took note of, of being kind of dated looking um I, I mean they they definitely sort of went full out for this uh this pilot <laughs> no definitely and uh i mean it's hard to think of it now but i mean enterprise always has been kind of blamed for being kind of like star trek fatigue after coming out of deep space nine voyager and then they went right into enterprise without a break and uh how silly they were back then because now we get star trek pretty much on a constant loop yearly and i mean with all the shows that they have and all the shows that they're hoping to put together um i mean it's not going it's not gonna be very long before we basically start to um you know have star trek like 365 almost right i think we're pretty much there Uh, pretty close yeah right pretty close um five five shows 10 episodes a season i mean do the math yeah that's that that's that is very true right and i mean it wouldn't be that surprising to to see prodigy or lower decks potentially even get more episodes because i heard that prodigy is actually going to get um a kind of a second season in this calendar year so um i mean that's a lot of star trek not that i'm complaining though not that i'm complaining uh all right well uh i mean it's a long episode we've been here for hours it feels uh (laughs) sitting and talking um is there any kind of memorable scenes from the second half, memorable quotes, um, and kind of uh, give me your, your, your score out of um, five season premieres? I mean, I think really the whole, there's a lot of things in the second half that I guess jumped out. That whole like rooftop sort of rescue slash shootout was pretty, pretty spectacular looking. Um, whether it was necessary or whether it was <laughs> anyways I, I thought it looked pretty pretty cool um the one line that kind of uh jumped out at me um at the very end when they return clang to the to the klingon homeworld the the chancellor says something to archer and he goes i take that as a thank you and uh uh, uh says i don't think they have a word for thank you and archer says what do you what did he say and she goes you don't want to know <laughs> yeah that's pretty good so, which I think is, I think that's very, very sort of a Klingon uh, response to, yeah, we brought your guy back and they're just like, you know, I thought it was pretty funny. I feel like they didn't utilize the whole, like, uh, universal translator thing well enough. I, I definitely find that they kind of went to, um, yeah, just they kind of went to, like, yeah, the universal translator just works and it made Hoshi, like, slightly, um, it made it slightly like less relevant or something like I, I don't know I, I kind of wish that they had done more of that stuff because I think it was really good for um, that kind of humor and things um, for me the second half lags a little bit I think that the first half is so hot and then the second half on like that little snowy asteroid thing and a little chase and then they basically get to the uh, Sulaban base and there's another little chase like those two fight scenes that were very samey um I think that they probably could have maybe done something to amp it up a little bit or just maybe do something slightly different. Uh, but the second half is solid. And uh, I think my favorite line is an Archer line. Uh, I think Mayweather says something about how like, it's an ion storm or something is uh, in the way. And he says, uh, we can't be afraid of the wind. 
Warp 4 or something to that effect, which I thought was kind of a cool line, um, especially since, you know, the whole thing about this ship is that it's really going through the, the rigors and the tests of whether or not it can, can do it, right? So um, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, anyway, what are your final thoughts on, uh, on Enterprise C's series premiere? I guess it's kind of like the second half. Um, and uh, I don't recall, but uh, my thought was that you rated the first half relatively highly. Um, I think I wrote it down here. So the first half of Broken Bow, I think that you might have even gone... We both said four out of five. So uh, did it, it was it able to kind of upkeep that same uh, level of, of intensity and excitement, or did it drop off slightly? For me, it's pretty much this. I I, I want to give the episode as a whole a four out of four because I think it's a really good pilot, and I thought as a as a whole it was pretty enjoyable to watch. I mean, I haven't watched this in probably four or five years, and uh, you know, as I often say, I so often will judge an episode by the uh, the watch test, and I don't know if I checked my watch once, so. Um, it's not perfect, uh, you know. There, we we talked a little bit about how there were some things in the second half that were a little bit, were not a, not the greatest. But um, I think overall, and I I found the second half to be pretty enjoyable, and I found the uh, the episode as a whole to be enjoyable. So um, I'm gonna stick with four series premieres out of five for the second half. So that you know, just overall, I thought it was was really good. So um, happy to give each half four out of five. You know what? I was actually going to go three, but I think you've convinced me because I think as a whole, it's uh, a four out of five episode and the like average part of my brain, like the, uh, the mathematical uh, part would know that if I gave one four and one three, that it just wouldn't be technically a four out of five. So I think I'm going to give it four as well. Although I do think that the second half is not as good. Um, I think that, um, from my perspective, uh, it, it falls off a little bit, uh, but overall, I would say that uh, it is is very enjoyable, a great first episode, and uh, I mean, one of the best. Like that's kind of an interesting question in and of itself. Where would you kind of rank this? You don't need to go through them all, but you know, if you think about emissary, if you think about caretaker, encounter at far point. The Vulcan Hello, is this like top of the pack, middle of the pack, or bottom of the pack for you? I would put it at, like, I think this Emissary and Caretaker are sort of at the same level. Okay, and is that in the middle uh, because, or the top or bottom? Uh, well, the top, I would say. Right. I mean, it's certainly better than Encounter at Farpoint, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think those three, I mean, they were all made sort of very relatively close to each other, like within... I guess seven or eight or nine years of each other so i think they sort of have the formula figured out um how do you get the characters in in a satisfying way how do we get some background without it being uh too ham-fisted and you know how what how do we give them something interesting to do and i think for, for i think really for all three shows I, of, of those pilots i think they all sort of accomplish that pretty well yeah, where would you rank them, like, just with regards to, like, the newer ones that we've had with uh, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Picard, uh, and the Vulcan Hello? Do you do you feel like, kind of, nowadays, the pilots are almost just kind of like a regular episode? They lack some of the, kind of, the specialness 
that pilots of the 90s do? Or is that just me with like my nostalgic glasses on? It's like chapter one of a book. Right. That's really what they've become. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you almost can't even evaluate them individually because, I mean, maybe lower decks a little bit. Yeah. Because they're a little bit more standalone. But, you know, Discovery and Picard especially, like, I, I don't even really know how you evaluate them as a pilot because I don't even know if you get all of the characters in the first those two episodes yeah discover especially was very different right because they tried to do like that double episode it was the Vulcan hello and the battle at the binary stars and I kind of have a memory that the discovery wasn't even in those episodes and like you had uh, Michelle Yeoh was kind of the captain it was just so different like it was almost like a standalone prequel movie or something and Picard like almost all of the episodes of Picard kind of blended together um Picard maybe was slightly bigger event it was actually during a time where Matt and I got together to watch the Picard premiere that's how big that was (laughs) and we were allowed to do such things in those times in those days um and uh but you're right they are just kind of like the starting point they don't have that same feeling like, you know, emissary. These are the characters. These are the people. These are the things. Um, and, and you know, caretaker and stuff. Maybe we're just too old, Matt. Maybe it's nostalgic. But I'm right with you. I actually kind of feel like Enterprise is probably up into the top tier uh, with Voyager, with Deep Space Nine. Uh, TNG, I think we can all agree. I was never a big fan of the original series, the Man Trap uh, episodes or the ones that they did with the Cage uh the cage am i right here the cage the cage was the original pilot right with and then there was a second pilot after it's either the, it's either the man trap or where no man has gone before i think it's where no man has gone okay before. yeah i'm not fussy on that one either and uh, the new age stuff i just i get excited for it <laughs> but um i just don't think that it, it's it's just not of the same kind of level of excitement for me anyway so um hopefully maybe strange new worlds will be the best pilot we've ever seen but we've already seen those characters so it kind of takes away some of that as well right yeah i mean, I mean television's changed yeah um, you know, if you look at pilots uh, i mean they're not even really pilots anymore i don't think because a lot of these shows it, it's actually i think it's quite good, becoming very rare that you see a pilot uh, because usually they're like they will order a whole season, right? They've already um, right decided. off the hops. Yeah, so I mean they don't necessarily feel like they have to introduce all the characters. They don't have to introduce the full setting because they know that they've got ten or twelve or thirteen episodes to do it. Um, I mean, I'm you know I'm a big fan of the Expanse, and it's been a little while since I watched the first season of that, but I I seem to remember that the first episode was you know just chapter one uh it wasn't like we we meet every character and they set the entire they, they put the entire setting in front of you it's it's like well no they 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 start you off and then in episode two they give you a little more and three they give you a little more and and so on so yeah i i think it's i think it's kind of hard to compare because television has changed quite drastically between you know 2017 when discovery started and what was this 2002 for enterprise so it, it, television is has just in general has just changed quite a lot yeah that's actually a really excellent point that i never would have really thought about because yeah the idea of trying to sell a show to the the powers that be right 
Um, like that just isn't a thing. Now you you sell the show for a season worth of stuff, at least if not two seasons uh, or a miniseries. And yeah, I, I'm kind of curious now. I might actually look it up in a minute after we're done here. I'm almost I'm kind of curious at how many shows are actually done with a pilot anymore, or if it's just literally with streaming and with content creation and stuff. The idea of spending money on a show that may not get picked up it it actually just might be something that just doesn't happen anymore at all like the chances of it are just zero i I happen to know of one but only because it was filmed like three blocks from my house okay um i i I didn't know what it was at first but uh through some you know digging around i was able to find out that all this filming they were doing, you know, three blocks up the street for me was for a pilot. Oh, okay. Uh, for a show. So, I mean, they do still do them, but I think it is much more rare than it, than it used to and be. And is it something like people are financing it themselves and trying to sell it to studios or something? No, it's an Amazon show. It's oh, okay. based on a audio drama podcast. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, it's, 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 it's like a horror thing. It's not science fiction or anything. Oh, okay. Cool. I listen to the podcast. It's kind of out, out there. there. <laughs> Not really my kind of thing. <laughs> oh, well. You tried. That's like, uh, actually, there was a one of those Hallmark uh, Christmas movies um, that was filmed in our hometown, Matt. Uh, our hometown of Aurelia. Oh, shocking. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to watch it, you know, because I want to see all of our, you know, the, the, where we grew up and, and everything like that, right? And so I flipped it on and it was just awful. Like I couldn't even like I, <laughs> I fast forward it and I was like, oh yeah, there, look at I've been there. Oh, look at that. I remember that spot. And uh, then uh, I had to just, I had to turn it off. It was just too, too terrible to waste life minutes uh, watching it. But I feel like uh, we've probably put a proper bow here on Broken Bow. All right, Matt, whoop, whoop, whoop. That is, of course, the red alert siren. After many weeks, I am off the hook, and you are on the hook for a fresh episode uh, for RTR. Uh, And I've got the old NX-01 ball cap, as stylish as it is, a little vintage uh, baseball cap I'm going to reach into and pop out a fresh episode. Uh, Do you have any preferences there, my friend? Let's go with it. Let's go try for a next generation episode this is uh you're (laughs) gonna kind of half get what you wanted um this is unfortunately the day that i have uh been uh fearful of this is from star trek picard oh um which uh is uh, actually just around the corner i feel like season two um but this is obviously from season one it's episode five and it is stardust city rag that is the episode that we'll be watching uh next matt's gonna have 60 seconds to remember as much as he possibly can about uh this particular episode if you are playing along at home then uh, you can kind of do the same thing yourself uh he's looking for characters or moments or guest stars anything matt are you ready to go i think i'm ready Uh, this one's pretty relatively fresh Okay, yeah, I mean, it's a couple of years ago now, but you're right, it is, uh, it is uh, the, some of the most recent uh, Trek stuff that we've had, so I guess I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock, and it will begin now. All right, this episode opens with a particularly gruesome scene where a uh, 
individual named Bajazel uh, essentially butchers uh, Ichib, uh, for our good friend from Voyager. And uh, it's, it's like a flashback scene in Seven of Nine, arrives to rescue him a little bit too late, and she ends up phasering him and putting him out of his misery. Uh, then in the sort of main part of the episode, Picard and the crew, they end up on this planet. I forget the name of it, um, but they have to go uh, deal with this bejazel character at, at her uh, her fancy bar. The uh, the crew all dress up in these ridiculous outfits. Uh, Picard is basically a pirate, which is extremely embarrassing. Uh, I don't actually remember. I remember there was also that weird alien that could like sense when people were lying that look really goofy and and it ends up with seven of nine phasering them all with the two rifles yeah actually that's the i think you're right i think this is the episode you were referring to actually this is uh the double barreled seven of nine shoot down episode which i never thought that i would say but uh here we are um (laughs) So uh, you're gonna have to come. You're that's like gonna be must see RTR because I know that I dislike Picard more than Matt does, and I feel like uh, this could be an episode where we really disagree. So make sure you come back in two weeks' time. We're gonna be on Stardust City Rag. Uh, we're gonna have ridiculous costumes. We're gonna have seven of them. We're gonna have Icheb. Remember all those guys. Um, it is going to be a very interesting and most likely a very lengthy discussion. Um, and it is going to be perfectly timed because it will prime us up for Picard, which I'm expecting probably in the next couple of months. So uh, until next time, uh, I've been Andrew. He's been Matt. Uh, thanks for joining us. And we will see you again soon. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. And Picard's the other character trying to solve the mystery. So he leaves for that reason alone. It could be, and it could really be any character. Any one of of the main cast members could have gone with Data and been there with Data several days later trying to solve what happened to the enterprise is it, it it's very very much a kind of a, a plot reason and nothing more i think yeah um i kind of wish data had stayed on the ship actually because i would like to have seen him regress to a pocket calculator <laughs> loading holosuite preview program for the sci-fi feminist a feminism and pop culture podcast i think i binged <laughs> the first season of Discovery in one weekend. I was so blown away because for the first time, we see this diverse crew consisting of an Asian female captain played by Michelle Yeoh, of course, who's one of my favorite actors and various other characters of color on the bridge crew. And then most significantly of all, of course, is that for the first time in Star Trek history, we see a black woman, Michael Burnham, as the main protagonist. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.